Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. GOP leaders admit they had no power to fire the state's top election official. Coming up, we explain what else was revealed in a recent court filing. Plus, lawmakers reached their first hurdle in approving the multi-million dollar proposal to keep the brewers in Milwaukee until 2050. And almost all state employees were approved pay raises. We tell you why that doesn't include the universities of Wisconsin workers. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for October 20th. Hi, I'm Emily Vannon. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., we're first going to start with the legal battle over mm-hmm. the state's top election official as it took a turn earlier this week. And what I'm talking about is that GOP leaders named in the lawsuit admitted that they had no authority or legal grounds to fire Megan Wolf, who is the administrator of the state's elections official. Now, this is very in contrast of what GOP leaders have been saying for weeks, specifically Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue and Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who all along basically bragged that, yes, we have the authority to do this and you know primarily this is an issue in the Senate because they were the ones who voted to fire Wolf last month but after this court filing came out there's been a lot of other puzzles pieces that have filed afterwards specifically when you uh, grabbed uh, Senator Lemahue after a session on Tuesday who basically clarified his contradicting statements and he told you he believed saying that which was quote the vote to fire her was symbolic in the court filing. He believed that this was Republicans' best legal strategy by acknowledging that his chamber's vote last month um, about Wolf was just symbolic. Now, we also heard from Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and asked him, hey, what do you think about this? You know, you even said in past interviews that you believe this was lawful and that you believe there's a legislative committee, uh, the Committee on Legislative Organization, that can appoint a replacement. He now is saying, well, that's the Senate's issue. Those weren't my attorneys. I want to withdraw my name from this lawsuit. Also, Senate President Chris Kapinga is requesting that. So that's kind of the whole timeline on this. Let's first take a listen to Voss explaining his reasoning and basically him suggesting that this committee can still act actively replace Wolf, even though in the court filing said that he had no authority to do that. So let's take a listen. The law is very clear in saying that you have to have four votes to appoint somebody. If a person is not appointed, there's a process in the law that says this is the exact way that JCLO appoints somebody. We have 45 days to wait. We then have a year to allow that person to serve. So it is a totally different position than if somebody is appointed to be on the Board of Regents or to be on the DNR board where there's really no replacement mechanism. We already have that in the law. The Senate took that position. I don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, but again, it's their lawsuit with their attorneys. Uh, I was just a named party. I've actually asked to be taken off the lawsuit. Uh, because really I have no say in how the Senate operates. So there's a motion hearing today about this matter of Voss and Kapinga trying to remove themselves from this lawsuit. We'll see what happens there. But this has just been an ongoing mm-hmm. saga, and we've talked about this before. There's still just a lot of uncertainty. Regardless of what ends up happening in this lawsuit, we are inching closer and closer to the 2024 election cycle. If you read between the lines for what Voss and said, it's they're kind of like saying, lawyers, man, what do you do with them, right? So there was a motion filed this week by the attorney 
uh, representing lawyer, uh, Republicans, to dismiss Voss and Kappinger from the suit and to dismiss four of the five claims that Josh Call made. Call wants five things. One of them is an uh, order saying that the Joint Dealers of Organization, JCLO, can't step in and appoint an interim. Under state law, if there's a vacancy in the position, after 45 days, that committee has the power to do it. That committee is controlled by Republicans. There's one thing. It wants an order that saying that the vote was symbolic. The fifth thing talks about whether the election commission should have appointed somebody at the end of the four-year term that Wolf was confirmed for, four years and changed for. What Republicans are saying, is basically, the lawyers are, is we want to focus on that one thing. We think if we can push this other stuff aside, that if we focus on did the commission did have, a, have a duty under state law to appoint somebody after that four-year term, we're on better legal ground. Now, I'm not a lawyer. often say that. Uh, don't know if it's going to work, but they're conceding this to get to where they want to be, on territory they want to be on. Uh, the hearing uh, today, we'll see where that goes. Uh, also, the judge is going to do, but this is not the last word. We're going to go through the appeals process. But it's also hinting at the Prain decision we talked about before. Fred Prain was a member of the DNR board, Natural Resources Board, um, held over from a Walker appointment because the Senate had act acted to confirm his replacement. That plays into this. So I anticipate a lengthy legal battle. My question is, when will that legal battle be resolved? Because we're now 12 months and two weeks and days away from an election. So one thing that the Republicans asked for was they wanted a <laughs> resolution on their request by November 1st. Judges don't often take well, telling me hurry up, so we'll see <laughs> yeah. how successful they are. But they want it done, be able to move. Uh, and there's a, from Democrats, I talk to them, they want to do anything they can to keep Republicans from appointing interim because they're fearful that Republicans will find somebody who was at least sympathetic to the conspiracy theorists and the GOP base and will put somebody in, in charge who would maybe not be so great for Democrats in terms of how elections are run. Right, and all of this stems from when WEC, the Bipartisan Election Commission, were unable or to reach in a consensus on a motion to appoint someone else. And that was all because Democrats thought, well, if we appoint Wolf, then that means the Senate can fire her automatically. So there's just a lot of murkiness and clarity that both sides want on this issue, but that's where it all kind of started because of Wolf's term did expire on July 1st, but she is still continuing in that role until the courts tell her otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see where uh, that goes with the motion hearing today and kind of the saga will continue for sure. Um, now we're going to get to a lot of uh, uh, proposals and actions that the Senate took on, I would say, somewhat of a marathon session day with the Assembly also in, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but the Senate did act to uh, reject, uh, I would say, a couple dozen of Governor Evers' appointees, but we're going to highlight some of the big ones here. Um, they fired about half of his appointees on the natural resource Resources Board, along with the Democratic Elections Commissioner Joe Sarninsky. But shortly after the vote, Evers quickly appointed four repla replacements to that board, which he can, and named Carrie Reeple, who is a former Eau Claire uh, city clerk, to serve on the state's Elections Commission. This move was expected. Um, I grabbed Governor Tony Evers, along with some other reporters, in the rotunda before this vote, and at no surprise, he was very frustrated with this because it's not the first time that several of his appointees have been rejected. Let's just take a listen to what he had to say about it. These are all good people. They're all strong supporters of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin idea, whether and they're completely appropriate 
people to serve in those positions. How would any of you out there like it to be, you know, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, get, a, get approved, it's completely qualified to do the job that you've been asked to do, volunteering for it, for God's sakes, and having the Senate because eh, that's the way politics work today. That's just wrong. That's wrong for democracy. Well, there was a lot rejected. There was also a lot of people confirmed as well, JR. Uh, Republicans focus the fact that they've approved 98% of Evers' appointments to date. To keep in perspective, though, the eight rejected on Tuesday, there have been five executive appointments rejected since 1981-82 by the Senate in that entire period. It shows the new normal in Wisconsin politics. Um, and let's look at the eight. So of those eight, uh, Sarzneski, he's kind of an Evers appointee, kind of not, with that spot in the Elections Commission the leadership of both houses, like give a list of three people to the, the governor, he picks one. So it's kind of a hybrid appointment. Jerry Halverson of the Livestock Siting Facility Board, he's actually appointed by DATCAP, the secretary there. But of the four DNR or Natural Resources Board members, two had said in committee, look, we might break the law about rules. There's a law that says you can't pass a rule as a board or an a uh, agency that has expense above a certain amount. Saying you're going to break the law is not a great way to win for Republicans. Two more members either couldn't answer questions or wouldn't answer questions from Republicans. They felt like that was not appropriate. Okay, get that. Um, Melissa Baldoff, who was uh, Evers' deputy chief of staff, handled communications while she was with the governor. Um, her sin was that she had said mean things about Republicans on Twitter. Uh, I've been very political on Twitter. She's also a domestic abuse survivor who was on a domestic abuse council. And she feels like her voice was being silenced by this. But, you know, look, okay, so she said mean things. That's, that's justification there. What about like Halverson and Wasserman, Sheldon Wasserman, former Democratic lawmaker, member of the Assembly, OBGYN, serving on the Medical Examining Board? What were their sins? Well, Halverson, nobody stood up really and talked about those appointments during the floor debate. They talked about the National Resources Board ones, but mm -hmm. not those. Halverson, from what I can tell, um, he was more deferential to the DNR's position on citing issues than the ag community, and some called him a political animal. Well, if you're going to reject political animals from appointments, it's going to be hard to fill out of spots in state government. Wasserman, um, his sin appears to be that he's a plaintiff listed on the lawsuit to overturn the abortion ban from 1849. Um, he's also a former Democrat lawmaker, said some things probably didn't like, but he's basically a scalp for the anti-abortion wing of the GOP. And the question is, what's the standard going to be going forward for senators on who you're going to keep and reject? Again, this has got a way long back. We could do a whole show about the appointment controversy in right. Evers' term, but there's a lot of bad blood going back to 2018 with the appointment process. Senator Lemonhue promised, I'll uh, say this session, we will move up Evers' appointments. We'll go through the normal process. Then promise they get confirmed. So what's the standard going to be? Uh, Tyler Hubner is a member of the PSC Public Service Commission. There is a thought that he's going to be in trouble. Uh, during his confirmation hearing, Republicans grilled him over the agency requesting for racial data from utilities. That's, you know, a DEI-type thing, woke things. So that's going to get some blowback. I don't know if it's going to go down. One thing to watch. The governor moved within minutes of these rejections to appoint new members to the Natural Resources Board and the other spots he could. One's Patty Schottner, from Democratic State Senator. She, was a, she won a surprise special election in January 2018, northwestern Wisconsin, deep red seat, lost in 2020, no shock because of how seat acts. She's qualified, she's been in state government, you know, she knows these issues. How is she going to be treated? I'm watching that one to see, do they, is it really about your qualifications or does politics come into play with her as well? Right, and it's also important to know that these people volunteer for these mm -hmm. positions. And if the trend continues, it's almost to a point of, 
why should I volunteer mm -hmm. if I might be on the chopping block? And that goes even back to the wolf issue and many other appointees throughout the year. They just have this gripe over whoever Governor Evers appoints. If there's a D next to their name or if they've said something bad about Republicans, you're almost going to get punished. Republicans argue, look, we have an advising consent response in the Senate, and they feel like Evers is getting a message that, hey, if you work with us, at, at the very least, they're okay with political people, but make sure they know what they're talking about. They're going to follow the law with the Natural Resources Board ones, like those kinds of basic things. And this is their power to do it. Yeah. So they have every right to take the action that they do. Um, now let's move on to other things that the Senate took up. Um, one thing is tax cuts and rejection of child care proposals. So they passed a $2 billion proposal that was an alternative to Governor Evers' $1 billion workforce package that also would fund child care centers. Now this bill that was uh, led by Senator Lemahue is likely going to be vetoed by Governor Tony Evers, but Lemahue Hughes said he would like to revisit the issue and still has kind of said a lot of Senate Republicans have been saying, you know, we're going to present our own workforce package at a later date. What's going to be in those details remains to be seen. There was, a, you know, some floor debate on this issue as Senate Democrats tried to bring forth Governor Evers' proposal again saying, hey, we should revisit it. Uh, these are popular issues. This is going to help the quote unquote child care crisis that Democrats have been, you know, traveling the state, specifically Governor Evers, talking about this issue. Meanwhile, Lemahieu on the floor contended, well, there's other popular ideas out there like tax cuts and work requirements um, to get more people flowing into the workforce again. Let's hear from both sides on this issue. This is a bill that contained a number of provisions that support working families, our universities and tech schools, increase our education and teacher workforce, Provisions that are wildly popular with people from all across the state of Wisconsin. What is happening today is that the Republicans in the Senate are rolling back child labor protections, endangering children, and eliminating funds for the enforcement of child labor um, regulations. You know, one of the previous speakers was talking about we need to do things that are popular with the state of Wisconsin. The advisory referendum passed with over 70% support, workforce requirements, um, tax cuts passed are, are overwhelmingly popular in the state of Wisconsin. You know, providing tax credits for childcare is very popular in Wisconsin. This substitute amendment, not only will it invigorate the workforce, but it is something that all constituents, all of our constituencies can, can rally behind. So where we go for the whole workforce childcare issue kind of remains to be seen. Like the Senate said, they want to present a package. We also, this week, the governor used some federal funds to keep some child care centers open. Like I said, he's been really hammering on this issue, still is traveling the state talking about this, hoping it will resonate with people. But it doesn't seem like it's going to really budge Republicans much. But we'll see if they come to some agreement to address the worker shortage here in Wisconsin. Or it's going to be like rinse, recycle, and repeat of Republicans with mm -hmm. tax cuts and Evers the calling for spending money. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. <laughs> All right. Now let's move on to the assembly. Now there were several other measures that they took up, but the big one I would say is definitely the bipartisan vote, which was the first hurdle in reaching uh, an agreement uh, to send public funds to renovate American family fields, which in return would keep the Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee until 2050. Now, the bill will now head to the Senate for consideration where additional changes are expected. The biggest one is adding a ticket tax on non-brewers events. Other proposals can definitely be in there as well. Um, let's just first talk to or, or listen to Democrats and Republicans on this issue because 
Democrats voted with Republicans, which I would say sometimes is rare, Mm -hmm. dynamic, given that Republicans don't typically bring up bills to the floor if they don't know they're going to pass just with their members alone. Um, I was surprised a little bit by some Milwaukee area uh, Democrats who voted against it. They, in theory, kind of just talked about this is another, you know, hit to Milwaukee. This is another attack on Milwaukee, even after that local contribution dropped from about two. $202.5 $202.5 million to $135 million from the city and county. Meanwhile, the lead author of the bill, uh, Representative uh, Rob Brooks, he argued on the floor that's like, listen, this is not an attack on Milwaukee. We revamped the formula, so everyone is pitching in a little bit. So let's kind of just listen to both of that dynamic on the assembly floor. In a year where Milwaukee is finally maybe able to get uh, above the surface fiscally with the passage of shared revenue, we're being forced to take on the stadium funding burden alone. We are allowing for the same percentage of Department of Revenue dollars to go back to other local municipalities, the same ones who are not sharing in the cost of this stadium. There's a famous phrase, stick it to Milwaukee that is being seen today. I hear the words how I'm sticking it to Milwaukee as the author of the bill. I am forcing Milwaukee City and County into something. That is so far from the truth that it's beyond laughable, it's insulting. There are two taxing entities outside of the state of Wisconsin that directly benefit, and that is Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee. And then I hear my colleagues say, But all these counties should be paying. Well, on behalf of my residents of the 60th District that drive down from Ozaki and Washington County, we apologize for spending our hard-earned money in Milwaukee. So change is expected in the Senate when the bill goes over there. Like I said, adding a ticket tax on non-brewers events. Now, there was some Republicans that really wanted to have a ticket tax on brewers tickets. But Representative Brooks said that wouldn't really be beneficial to Wisconsinites, so it seems like that's off the table for right now. Also, an audit of the stadium board, that's been tossed around. It seems like no one that I've talked to has an issue with Mm -hmm. that. Um, What I thought was interesting is Brooks did mention in the pre-presser availability before the bill was on the floor, he said there's been a lot of things thrown at him in the Senate from, you know, I want this, I want that, I want a tax cut in here. And he's just hoping there's no essentially poison pills in this. Let's get this across the finish line. Let's get this to Governor Tony Evers' desk. Um, What I'm looking for, too, is Evers likes the bill as is. Um, I don't believe he's been asked specifically about the ticket tax on non-brewers events, but I'm not getting the sense that's going to be the end-all, be-all for him if that's also added to the proposal. So what I'm watching is you kind of hinted at. In the Assembly, it did not pass with 50 GOP votes. In the Senate, they call it the Rule of 17. And it's not a hard, fast rule, but it's a fairly consistent one, which is, Republicans only pass bills if they have 17 GOP votes out of 33 members. They don't want to rely on Democrats to pass a bill. I don't get the impression from my calls there are 17 GOP votes for this bill right now. Even if you add the audit, even if you add um, the ticket tax on non-brewer events, I don't know they get there. So the challenge for backers is to figure out who's gettable on both sides of the aisle. Steve Noss, for example, of Whitewater, he wants to attach the income tax cut to the brewer bill. Yep. That's a non-starter. It's also a sign to backers of, okay, we're not going to get NAS, so let's not put energy there. The challenge is to pin down these senators, where are you at? What do you have to have to pass this bill? For Democrats, where are they? I know Chris Larson in Milwaukee is a hard no at yep. this point. I don't know they give anything other than 
public ownership of the team to get him on board. But Lena Taylor, Latanya Johnson, both Milwaukee, where are they? Chris, uh, Tim Carpenter, Milwaukee, he wants an audit. Is the audit enough to get him on board? Things like that. Where's leadership go? There's all kinds of like massaging that has to be done. And then the question becomes, will Governor Evers twist arms a little bit in the Democratic caucus to get them on board? Will Devin Lemahieu make this a priority and say, I'm going to really put my thumb down on people? Because talking to outside Republicans, they're going, look, the message back home isn't about the good things of the bill. It's why are you giving millionaire, millions of dollars to a billionaire for a public team, which is hundreds of miles away from our district? They don't like it. Okay, so where do you go for that support? A um, couple things to note, too, what was given up to get this deal in the assembly. With Milwaukee counting the city, right, they just got these new sales taxes to pay for their pension costs. If you look at well, the mechanics to make this work, essentially the State Department of Revenue keeps a, a section of the sales tax to pay for administrative costs. So local governors don't collect the sales tax from retailers, the state does. The state collects it, figures out who gets what, and ships it out, right? There's administrative costs to that. They lowered that fee. So basically, Republicans insist on having a local contribution, which they're getting, but they're getting a local contribution by letting locals keep more of their own money, which would run the state otherwise. So it's an interesting dynamic there. What happens next? Well, we talked before, full country dropping down from where it was, 202.5. We kind of knew that was going to happen. If a ticket tax comes on board, and there'll be people push for like brewer events as well, if that comes on, does that then drop the state contribution? Right. Make it more palatable to buildings that way. So there's all kinds of things you got to watch. The other big thing is they have two weeks in November on the floor. There's momentum now from this vote in the assembly. Do they get it done in November? If they don't get it done in November, come back in January, it could be a heavier lift, so they might have to move quickly this bill. And there's a hearing next week. Uh, Dewey Strobel has got called it, government operations for public hearings. So um, backers want to move sooner rather than later. All right. Let's also move on to the latest uh, in the impeachment issue over looming, I should say, over State Supreme Court Justice Janet Protosiewicz. Now, what we're talking about now is this panel that some say is a panel is not a panel, <laughs> I should clarify. But this all relates to Speaker Voss tapping now three justices, now that we know all of them, former justices David Prosser, uh, uh, Patient Rogan Sachs, and John Wilcox. Um, they have all been asked to evaluate impeaching Protosawitz. Now, we've heard from two out of the three of what their opinions are, which is Prosser and Wilcox advising Voss against it. We don't know what Rogan Sachs has said about the issue, but she said she just basically called up um, mm -hmm. Speaker Voss and they talked about it. So there's no like order. So we found out from a judge that she will no longer have to publicly testify of what was talked about in those discussions. But this is a big issue for American Oversight, uh, Liberal Watchdog Group, who this is kind of their thing. Uh, they want to have all this information out in the public and we'll kind of see where this issue goes from there. The big thing for me on this whole thing is that the impact of what's had on Robin Voss and his threat to impeach Pro Se, which we talked before about this. If and when she heard the case, which she's hearing it, if and when they don't have the support to impeach, which we don't think they have right now, what's he have left? Well, last week he said during news conference, we're going to watch how she rules, and we may proceed depending on that. So let's imagine how going from violating judicial ethics codes is grounds to impeach somebody to how they rule is grounds to impeach somebody. Talking to people this week, they don't think that's much of anything other than saber-rattling. Robin Voss trying to kind of like pressure put a say, which of if you rule a certain way, we may come after you. I don't know who will have support to do that, uh, so it's something I'm kind of watching. Then two, pay attention to Voss's comments. He's really hanging his hat on the U.S. Supreme Court. Like that may be the ultimate savior for Republicans, that they're going to go to the court eventually. We've we got filings on Monday. 
um, in this kind of like the laying down the arguments. Reading the Republican brief, they made clear they still feel like prosecutors should not hear this case. They are teeing up going to the U.S. Supreme Court to challenge whatever comes out of the state Supreme Court. That's a violation of standards they have or hear the case of a due process. So this case is not going to be done when the court finishes it. They've set a pretty uh, tight timeline, oral arguments on November 21st. So we are in line to have a decision and time to have maps in place for 2024 unless the U.S. Supreme Court steps in. And that may be Robin Voss's ultimate um, ultimate off ramp, right? Yes. You yes. talked about a few of them, but it seems like this is the last one out there. Um, all right, real quickly, you're going to recap another issue that happened this week is that a Republican controlled committee blocked pay raises for the universities of Wisconsin employees with their name change. That's why they're no longer the UW system, while also approving almost basically all the, all the other pay raises mm-hmm. for state employees. And this is all stemming from an ongoing fight over the school system's diversity, equity, and inclusion spending that has really been an issue for. Speaker Voss that he's saying, you know, we made the cuts, a $32 million cut in your budget. You're still not making those cuts. And you're basically, I'm not going to give you anything until you do something about it. Um, Rothman was asked about the issue um, when he made an announcement about some other smaller campuses closing. Uh, Let's just take a listen to what he had to say about this. I am proud of the work our faculty and staff do to help make a better Wisconsin. Uh, And it is unprecedented to withhold pay for tens of thousands of families throughout the state as was done today. Well, we are beyond disappointed in the actions. We are not going to give up being advocates for the work that our faculty and staff do because it is simply not right to leave those families behind. So as I said, this is going to be an ongoing fight for a while. We'll see if these pay raises ever get introduced, but we basically know that Rothman and Voss need to sit down and try to figure this out going forward. Um, Let's go on to stock picks now. Rising this week is state finances due to the state budget projections. So so it takes a while to do the final counting of everything that happens in a fiscal year. So a fiscal year that ended June 30th, we got a little bit of good news, about $196 million more uh, in the bank than we thought we were, which in the grand scheme of things, isn't a huge deal. We go from $6.9 billion for the ending balance of that fiscal year to $7.1. So, still good news. Money's money, though. A couple <laughs> things that happened. One, Medicaid did better than we thought we would. So, when there's a surplus in the Medicaid fund, which is a state-federal partnership, that extra state money goes in the general fund, the ba- main checking account for the state. Okay, bigger surpluses there. We also had less spent on compensation reserves, which basically the pay and benefits for state employees. When you have lots of vacancies, you don't spend money budgeted for employees. So there was some lapse there. Uh, so all good news. Um, it also then sets up that we have a lot of money to play with the next budget. Now, we also again got the rate day funds $1.8 billion. To tell you, the stalemate's not great for voters and constituents because of you know the standoff about how to spend this money. It's good for the state's bottom line. That rainy day fund of $1.8 billion, it generates $7 million interest every month it sits there. So as this money sits, there's more money building up toward next year, or two years, I'm sorry, the next budget. All right. And mix this week is Congressman Derek Van Orden due to fundraising. Yeah. Numbers. So he raised the most of the delegation, more than 800 some thousand dollars, which was good for a freshman. That's pretty good. I mean, Brian Stile and Mike Gallagher are good fundraisers, but Van Orden topped all of them. The issue, though, is part of the money came from national help. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, now has a PAC. Uh, he contributed about 70 some thousand dollars to what Van Orden raised. The question of going forward is, how does the speakership standoff impact people like Van Orden, right? Um, do they go 
we don't have the money. I mean, McCarthy's still a great fundraiser. Does he have the chips to collect all those checks still going forward? Um, no longer a speaker. But oh, by the way, Ben Orton keeps giving critics fodder for like going, what's with this guy's fuse? I mean, the latest one was last week. He berated um, members of the Biden administration over the briefing on Israel and what's happening there. Um, dropped an F-bomb, according to one report, toward a Jewish lawmaker from Minneapolis. I don't know that stuff hurts people back, makes sense for people back home, right? It's kind of like insider baseball. Unless there is a collection of enough events that people go, this guy is not really our, our values. He's got a short fuse. I don't know how they use that, though, in a campaign ad against him just yet. He also has now a fifth Democrat, I think, in the race, fourth or fifth. So Eric Wilson, uh, who's from Eau Claire, I think he works in the Twin Cities area. Uh, he has jumped in. I'm not sure he's going to get a lot of legs until we see a finance report that says, okay, this guy's for real. But looking at the others, Rebecca Cook from Eau Claire raised 400 grand. Um, Tara Johnson from Lacrosse, 120 grand in like two, three weeks to be in the race. Katrina Shanklin from Stevens Point, she got in after the, the period ended. She raised 100,000 bucks in two weeks. All good money, but if you add it all up, you're still short of what Van Orden's at. Also, in their odd move, uh, Van Orden, while they're voting on House Speaker, left for Israel. I'm still trying to figure out why that makes sense, but hey. You know? He's seeking answers, apparently, to reports. He wants and to go a fact-finding mission as a you know, former military. That man. turmoil in the House, though, portrays Republicans are unable to govern. So does that weigh on voters next year? And they go, okay, look, these guys can't get their stuff together. What are we doing? All right. And following this week is a former center clerk, um, Mike Queensland. So we got the report um, of what had did after weeks of rumors and, and using questions. He was uh, a third party, had lodged three allegations against him about conduct at state conferences in other states. One was ruled credible by a woman who said he, she had, he had non-consensual sexual contact with her. Um, his responses were not credible, according to the investigator. He was opaque. He didn't answer things. Basically, did not come across as credible. Also got new records uh, that he signed a separation agreement with the state after he resigned. He gets paid his unused vacation time in exchange for not promising not to sue the state going forward for anything. All right, and they are seeking for a replacement still mm -hmm. right now. All right, that will do it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Emily Pannon. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.